I feel one of the biggest reasons of why we don't we no longer see and we won't see until we start to change this a lot of black owned business is because is because of the the lack of trades that are in school like there's no more trades in schools right and to me that's that's not something that i don't think that would take a lot to put back in schools everyone that graduates high school is not going to go to college let's just be honest with you but if you can tell a young man at 17 hey you can get this trade and you can go run a cnc machine you can have your your plumbing license you can be certified to put up some drywall to do a yard your landscaping business i feel like taking that out of school eliminate eliminated a lot and really they really only took them out of cleveland public schools the the inner city because i know a lot of people that i talk to that i work with in these suburban neighborhoods that still have certain trades in schools so what's your take on trade getting a trade you can go into a building and say hey i'm certified i can run this i can do this here's what i have to offer so what's your take on trades versus college my generation we we were taught what's up everybody it's willie and alex from the black culture podcast i know you are ready to get into this video but before you do that make sure to subscribe to our channel and follow us on facebook instagram and twitter at the black culture podcast we know but for our audience just give us a little bit of snippet about who is lady gilmore and what she does okay no no problem no problem but i always give honor to my parents Mm -hmm. it wasn't for them it wouldn't be a lady Gilmore mm. especially with my daddy starting you know his business out of our home when I was 8 years old taught me the value of finding what your hands can do you know we can do that I'm gonna follow your lead. How about that, sons? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, keep, keep, keep going. So let's let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning because you're born and raised here, right? Yes, sir. And uh, much different time, wouldn't you say? <laughs> much different. <laughs> and but, I always but, find that interesting about how different times was back then it just seemed a lot more unified back then a lot more togetherness so yeah let's let's a good way to start let's dig into that alex all right well much much different time but i i have a question for you does the way things are going now especially in 2021 i say 2020 2021 does any of it remind you uh, oh wait a minute hold on bro <laughs> You, <laughs> I don't know if I should blame you or blame myself. Lady Gilmore, I'm sorry. We have a tradition here on the Black Culture Podcast. And before we get started with an episode, we like to have a toast. And I'm not sure if you have a cup in your hand, but we want you to have the honor of um, selecting what we should toast to. Oh, okay. What I got nearby. Ooh. Or it can be an imaginary toast. It doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. Let me know when you're ready. 
Oh, we 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 ready. What what should we toast to? We're gonna toast to life itself. Take advantage of a bonus day. Every day that we wake up is a bonus day. Because mm. so many didn't wake up. I love it. We're gonna talk about a bonus day. I love it. Is that okay, sons? That's yes, okay. Ma'am. Okay. Let's toast it up. We're toasting up to the Lord for granting us another day, not just another day, but a bonus day, a an bonus extra day. special day that he allowed these big eyes to pop open this morning and let me know what's, what it's all about. A toast to life, to life. And right now what's going on, we need a toast to family, commitment, love, and peace, and Lord, stop the violence. Get these people the mental help that they need so they won't cause harm to anybody else. So that's our toast for a good day today. I love it. The legacy it. continues. Mm. All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and dig into it. So I will ask you that question specifically. Um, because how much has changed in the past 100 years? I was telling Willie, you know, this year, May 31st, 2021, is the 100-year anniversary for the Tulsa race riots, 1921, that Black Wall Street, right? And you see a lot of what's going on today was going on back then. And what do you notice <laughs> as far as the similarities you know, back when you were coming up versus now that our babies are coming up in 2021? Destruction, mm. pain, a lot of pain. I came from a generation that supported one another. You know, no matter what it was, we supported and we were against violence, even though, you know, we experienced it. But what a wonderful historical example than the Black Wall Street also. Our brothers and sisters owned their own businesses. That was all of their prosperity right there. You talking about exchanging money where? And our culture. And that's what they did. That money was able to circle around and around until somebody decided to let the enemy get in their head and cause harm and just destroyed the whole town. That when I first was old enough to understand, I couldn't stop crying. Who gives you the right to tear down what someone else have built up? Who? You, you, you don't have that right. And the, the way it is today, uh, the Lord is allowing us to another chance, like I spoke about the bonus day. Some of our behavior, it's unbelievable. With this pandemic going on, I shared with some of my sisters and my children, we had 13 months. We was locked down for 13 months. What was your stream of mind thinking in 13 months? Stream of income, we used to call it playing B, C, D, and just, you know, keep going on. Where 
is your mind and you're sitting there in a pity party with all this power and you're not using it. And then you want us, us, tenderhearted me to drop everything and come see about you. That's a huge difference right there. Mm. When my daddy having his own business, um, they had the black book, everybody's name that was in the book. Those are the people that you did business with. And if something happened, they went in groves, many people to see about your truck breaking down, you didn't run out of gas, you don't have this. That's what they did. I actually witnessed coming up. We need to get back to that. Now, so, I'm sorry. No, 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 you're good, you're good. I just wanted you to dive into that a little deeper because back then, especially in the city of Cleveland, a lot of people don't know that Cleveland had its own version of Black Wall, Wall Street. And, you know, my age group, age group that's younger, they don't know about the black history because it was a hub for civil rights. It was a hub for jazz music. It was it was a hub for a lot of things. But we also had our own economy. So I wanted you to just dig into that a little bit. You coming up and witnessing and, and being a part of that. It, it was awesome, you know, to see how we can work together and become a team. Um, the businesses, like I said, they really supported each other. Now, um, the, we had black banks. We had two. Hey guys, it's Willie from the black culture podcast. I know you're enjoying this dope interview, but before you continue, make sure to like subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the black culture podcast. If, if my remembrance is right, we had two black banks. One and was up here. What? decade is this what era when i was coming up uh i think i was in my 20s okay maybe mid-20s early 30s but that was a few years ago now you know it was just yesterday so (laughs) (laughs) just yesterday and um we banked at this bank my daddy took me to this bank and told me you're going to open up an account here. And when you walked in this bank, everybody was waving. You're talking about customer service. Welcome you. Because we're coming to support our own. It used to be up here on Northfield Road. Then we had another bank that was over on um, Euclid, somewhere in the 70s. 73rd, 4th, some, somewhere in through there. That was another Black bank. And we all banked that, even though Cleveland Trust was sitting on the corner of 105 in Euclid, we used to all go there until we heard the word. We have our own bank. And what a difference it was. It helped teach the business people how to become more legal business. Instead of carrying cash, you can carry your checks. You can write a check. Um, We took classes there. Uh, handling our business and we passed the word go over to I can't even think of the bank community something go over here and when my daddy and his generation did business together I'm talking about uh, 
the Mount Pleasant area, we had begun to move in the Mount Pleasant area because that was a Jewish community. I want to jump in real quick because before you uh because you mentioned the banks, Kent, what what were, what were the names of those banks? You know what, son, I can't even think of it. Um community, I think Northfield was community something. Um I don't remember the names, but I what sad me is if you ever come to Northfield and Emory Road, that's where the bank used to sit, right there on the right hand wow. side. I think it's a cash out place now or something. That's where you talking about sharp. Oh, they were sharp stepping up in there. <laughs> Cause we was representing one another. And um I remember. Um, the men would tip their hats to speak to a lady. They tip their hats. And we would come in there, and them that had hats on would tip the hats. And it was, like I said, it was a big family. And they, they taught our people how to bank, how to save your money, how to have your money, and what to do with your money. And the other one, it's still, uh, I rode down Euclid about a month ago. I took my children. Um, it saddened me because the bank was boarded up and I stopped and I pulled over and I said, look at this building. Oh, grandma, it's boarded up. I said, yes, it is. Well, I want you to remember before it got boarded up, grandma used to go there and bank. This is where I went to get my money and they were amazed. And you know this generation, six and seven and nine-year-olds, they're asking a thousand questions. What happened? Is it still living? Why is this? And I, I loved it. because I perked their interest, especially when I said our own bank. And uh, to, to see it, it's, it's, it's sad. It's sad. I and, love that um, you, you do that because that's one thing about this next generation is that you know it's a lot of history that we don't know and some of us will never know because of we don't have the people to teach it to us Alice teaches me something every day about our history right so but you brought up something and for me education is one of my passions and I love that and when I love talking about it because I always feel like the school systems now are failing our kids definitely our black kids so could you go a little in depth about how the school systems was back in your generation, your era, and how much compared to how different it is now? What sad me was um, I went to Catholic school for nine years and um, we never talked about us. I was like, wow, we never talked about us. And I used to say, you know, to the nuns and my classmates and everything. What your daddy do? Oh, I was proud to tell him. My daddy got his own business. <laughs> I didn't tell him that the truck had broke down a, a block before he got home. But my daddy had his own business. And the history, uh, they didn't teach us history about ourselves. Then um, I went to Notre Dame. And I was just tired of the girls. I asked my daddy, could I go to public school? He was so open-minded. He said, yes, this way you can learn 
both sides of the coin. Now I'm thinking never been in public school before. I went to John Adams. I'm thinking I'm about to hear about history. I'm about to hear about the businesses up here on 105 from uh, Quincy all the way across to St. Clair. This is where my mind was because of the, the background I came from. Nobody talked about it. It was George Washington Carver. That's why I know so much about him because my daddy had us go to the library. He said he, he invented more than just a peanut. So it was a small, uh, you're talking about a nugget, a chicken nugget. It was smaller than a chicken nugget of the information that we were taught about our people. And I was like, really? So I, uh, American history, I went home and I asked my daddy, why don't they talk about us? He said, they don't want us to know. That's why I'm teaching my children what you need to know about you. What you need to know about you. Uh, and to this day, I take my children everywhere. Woodland, Central, I mean, Euclid. At that time, Euclid was our downtown. We would all get dressed up to go up on 105 and Euclid and shop. You know what? Can can you talk a little bit about that? Because once again, so much history. You brought it down city. too, man. Because I didn't had no idea <laughs> like 105 was like that, man. Like, oh yeah, no bro. Idea. Oh um, man, you got to think, I, you Lady Gilmore. You know the 105 I've experienced. It's nothing like what you have experienced. So I'm 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 intrigued. Please, uh, bro. From Euclid. East Cleveland used to be that spot. Yes, yes. War War Warrensville Heights used to be yes. that spot, man. So, but no, talk about Euclid because, again, I didn't get to grow up in that Euclid. Talk about that area and how, how nice it used to be. Oh, my gosh. It was our downtown. We didn't have to take the bus. We all walked. I grew up on the Hunterford Cedar, so we all walked. But to get up there and see all of these stores, we even had a woodworker. I think it would be a Woolworth. We, yes, we had, um, there was no need to go downtown. Really? Uh, we had theaters. Could you believe that when I first went to the movies, I paid 20 cents to get in the movies? It right there on 105 in Euclid. Man. There was the bank. And I think two doors was the, uh, I remember the name, Alhambra. Movie theater, 20 cents we paid to go to the movies. We ate up there. Uh, we shopped. Um, it was uh, doctors and it was some, everybody all the way to the East Cleveland line, borderline. Now, we thought East Cleveland was a whole nother world by itself. Cause there was so many black people with those beautiful homes and, and everything. So we dressed up to go to um, East Cleveland. Really? Yes, sir. Wow. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. My generation, we wasn't wearing no t-shirts and all that going nowhere. That was the, those were the play clothes. And um, a group of us in our neighborhood, I think it was two streets. When they first opened the McDonald's on 83rd in Euclid, which is still standing, that was a treat to us because we had never ate out of a fast food restaurant. 
Oh, it was about 50 or 60 or more of us. And we all walked to that McDonald's. And wow, wow. what an experience. Euclid, people coming from everywhere because we wanted to see what was this McDonald's about? Our parents, you know, they migrated from the South. They cooked full course meals. <laughs> it's, and, uh, it's, we- <laughs> it's funny you say that because my grandfather is from the South and uh, I remember my uncle, this is a story that was told to me when my uncle was a, was a boy and he said uh, apparently it was a McDonald's on one side of the street and I don't know if you remember this story. It's a story that used to be called Finest and Finest oh, on the yes. other side of the street. <laughs> my grandfather asked him, he said, you want one of the best hamburgers money can buy? And, you know, as a kid, you're immediately thinking about Mickey D's. He turned right into that store part. That's right. <laughs> bought, the, the- bought the ground beef, went home and made it. He said he was oh, so yeah. mad. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because we had a um, A&P. McDonald's was on 83rd and A&P was a grocery store. And I think it was on 85th and Euclid. And right, right there where the... Uh, the theater is, the playhouse is, that was a strip of businesses. It was Sears, uh, A&P, all different kinds of stores was there. So we basically, like I said, walked, and then let me talk about 105. Whoa. Here you go, Willie. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Talk about it. I'm right there. Let's see, 105 in Cedar where now it's all torn down. That was a big, huge drugstore. Big, malts, the malts that they now call them milkshakes and all of that. So we all shopped there. Then across the street was a, um, I forget now, but it was a record shop. That's where we met Bobby Womack and his family because he had a record shop. And we would uh, stop and wave, you know, passing the record shop. He would tell us, come in, come in, come in. And he began to educate us about to walk. He's telling us where to go. And we're saying to ourselves, we live in this neighborhood, but you didn't disrespect. And um, so that's 105 in Cedar. And then uh, Carnegie, I forget, it was a bunch of houses. and so There was a lot. But what about that Cole Post building? I'm still sad today that that historical building with all that history that marched in and out of that building. I think it was on the corner of 105 and Chester, I think, uh, where so much went on there. And the, the calling post was our black media newspaper. And it puts the it put some everything in there to let us know what was going on. Some of it was morbid, horrible things that had happened, but we needed to see that so we could do better. And um, it's just such a difference. And uh, Way Park was 105, it was businesses, you know, and the list goes on Superior all the way to St. Clair. We had barbecue places, cleaners, shoe stores, um, barbershops, beauty shops. We had it all. And we would patronize. Now, that's on the 105 strip. 
Uh, we had a couple funeral homes, I think Schroeder and something else. But it was so historical to us to see that people that look like us own, own these businesses. And that's so important. That is oh so my important. God. Because if you don't see somebody that looks, if you're growing up and you don't see somebody that looks like you owning businesses, then it becomes the norm to you to not see someone that looks like you and you'll continue spending your money with those people. Absolutely. Uh, it was just awesome. Uh, so much. Uh, what do you call it? Shoe repair. We had several shoe repair businesses with people that look like me. It was like, wow. And they were just, like I said, they would invite us in. Come in so you can see what we do. So we, my generation, as they want to call us the baby boomers, we had a lot of opportunity to actually see the visuals and experience it. Where versus today, we're more cautious about inviting somebody in. And inviting somebody in that looks like us. Yes, um, unfortunately, it's painful. Yeah. So talk about the the value system that that created, because you grew up in a different with a different set of values than our youth grows up with today because of what they see. Um, the cohesion between fellow black, fellow black. Talk about the atmosphere and how we all kind of stuck together and intentionally made sure that we would support each other back then because i don't know what specific decade this was but i would assume not too long after that uh i would say black black wall street here in cleveland that you just mentioned then you started to see the height of it start to come down and which led us to where we are today so if you can give us just a little snippet of that um, the value system that it it created, you growing up being able to see this versus what our children are growing up seeing today. Respect for one thing. We were told that when we rode the bus for eight cents, bus fare was eight cents. If we wanted to transfer, it was three cents. We were told before we left home, when you get on that bus, if an elderly person gets on that bus, we had to get up. It was no exchange exchanges of words. Um, about nine years ago, I took all of my children. They had never been on the bus. I was so hurt to see the disrespect that the young people had for the elderly getting on the bus. They got walkers, they got canes, and nobody moved. We did. Well, my children got up immediately. And uh, I was like, wow, what happened to the respect? And um, me, I always say a prayer before I speak. I spoke up about it. I said, son, I said, peace and good day, son. He said, hey, I said, no, 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 son. We're not going to say, hey. I said, do you mind getting up to let mother sit down? You know what he told me? He said, no, I'm not getting up. Wow. And he told me, he said, and you can't make me get up. Wow. When I told him, I said, you're absolutely correct. If you was my son, you would get yanked up. <laughs> okay. So he kind of like, you know, looked at me. And and the the respect, I mean, 
like now versus when I was coming up, you dare wouldn't rob an elderly person. Are you kidding me? Snatching their pocketbooks, snatching their groceries. Some of the stores here, um, they're robbing the elderly when they get to their cars and they pop the trunk or they open up the back door to put the groceries in. Young people, it's coming up robbing your history. That mother could be your mama, your grandmother. So it's really, it's painful. It's the respect. And we got to start, I tell everybody, there is no handbook on how to be a parent. There is no handbook. Sit at the feet of the elders and let's learn how to be respectful for one another. Is that okay, son? Oh, no, that, that was great. And so when did you start to see from your generation to the next generation that value system change? When did you start to see that? And oh, also, let's... could you add in there, how did you feel? Like, because you saw it at its highest peak. So not only when did you see it, I want to know, like, how did you feel and how did your peers among you feel when you started to see your city and your, your Black-owned business going down? Well, it started with the riots. Even now with the 72nd chapter in my life. The uh, Huff, Huff riots, is that what you yes, refer to? it Huff hurts. Riots? It hurts so bad because a lot of those businesses was my father's colleagues and uh, to hear them call or come to the house, you, you know, crying that the businesses have been burned down. What are they gonna do? That, that riot, that whole riot, um, like I say, I still hurt one from behind the Huff riot. And, and we hadn't restored much behind that riot. Then here comes the Glenville riot. And what I couldn't understand, and I still don't understand, what gives you the right to destroy what doesn't belong to you? So it was hard for a lot of them to bounce back. What was a lot of, of what were they writing about just for our, our listeners? Son, believe it or not, it's it's so many different reasons. And um I really rather not say because I want to be accurate. Okay. Uh, we've heard so many stories, and I I meant to uh, go online and see, even when, when you Google, it's still naming different reasons, causes for it. And um I shared me and my colleagues, I said, no matter what the cause or the reason for it, you didn't have a right to destroy what didn't belong to you. And my generation, we're older now and every now and then we try to get together to talk about it, but, but we wind up crying and uh, just don't know what to say. I mean, you literally started a fire, burned down, the cleaners got burned down. It was a lot that got destroyed. So everybody has their own version. To answer your question, they have their own version of what caused uh, the Huff riot and what caused the Glenville riot, because there's too many versions. So I always step back from that, because I don't want to say the wrong thing, because everybody, 
No, no, no. I was just told doing Black history. No, 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 mama. It, it didn't happen like that. And I'm saying to myself, yes, it did. I grew up in that area. So um, I was taught to be quiet. Mm. You, you know, just be quiet. And so <clears throat> that was that was in the 60s, correct? If I'm not mistaken, the uh, the Huff riots, which was, I mean, kind of like the height of civil rights anyway, Malcolm Martin and so many others, then going into your 70s. So let's let's talk about going to college and then starting your professional career, because you chose and I'll say this for our viewers, you chose a role less less travel. You dedicated your life to giving back and helping others who are coming after you. I want to know what fueled that did your upbringing and seeing the neighborhood change fuel that, or was that just a desire that you felt God called you to? Um, my mama. My mama. Um, children behind the riots, people lost, didn't have nowhere to stay, and this and that. And um, they would come and visit on our street or whatever. My, my mother would meet people, and they wind up living with us. Mama was giving away our stuff. I'm like, Mama, that's my dress. She said, honey, God, <laughs> bless you with many dresses. But it was my mother. And I said to my mama, I ain't gonna never do that. Mm -mm. I'm not gonna be giving children. When my mother uh, crossed over in 1981, all the children wanted to be her hall uh, barrier. It was 34 of them just wanna touch and help wow. bring Mama Evans out. That's where I got it from my mother. And my mother used to say, be careful about what you say you're not gonna do. So the tender heart started with my mother. And uh, I just started doing what I seen mama do. And then, you know, going to church and seeing different things. And I just figured that that was gonna be my calling. And when I tell people this, uh, sons, they don't believe it. My mother was an LPN and of course, she wanted me to be a nurse, right? This is what they want. So I went to Tri-C for a year and a half. I'm going to be a nurse because my mama asked me. But when they brought that black cat out in formaldehyde, that was enough for me. I said, oh, no, I cannot do this. I, I went home and, you know, shared with my mother that I just couldn't do that. So she said, find your dream. And that's how I started. I see children and people on the street, hungry, begging and, and stuff. And I said, they're not begging. They just want us to know that they, they hungry. So I would get out of my car and, you know, feed them. I'm cautious now because it's a different day. And I just started loving on God's babies out there. Just, you know, love them all. And, um, I had a daycare before I legally got my certifications for a daycare. Uh, I ran into a um, family, former gangbanger, knew the streets and you know all of that, but was still lost. So that's where it started from, um, my mother. And uh, to see the smiles 
on their faces when they get gifts. Mama would cook up big meals, big meals, and just go to walking. Because don't forget, we, we did a lot of walking. And um, just passing it out to people. And I see that's what the Lord, you know, has me doing. Walking, you know, passing it out. And um, just giving. I don't care. I keep um, care packages in my trunk. All, all I need to do is, is see a need here. So, you know what? I think I got a little bit ahead because I, I skipped over a part. I've been wanting to ask you this question, which I think is crucial to our community. And that is relationships, um, marriage, dating and whatnot. What was that dynamic like back then in the 60s and 70s? And I'm sure you... Uh, can't really tolerate it the way it is today but what was it like back then what was the respect between black men and black women did you date outside your race what would happen if you brought home somebody that wasn't from your community i i, I want to know that because i can see the shift and how it's changed there's so much history around it um but i want to know from your uh since you were living in it what was that like back then a shift in the atmosphere. Remember that word if you don't remember nothing else. Whoa, when I was coming up, it was so much respect for the, the husbands and the fathers in the home. So a boy knew that when he came, he better come right. My daddy told me, don't bring nobody to this house with clean fingernails and shoes shining and he smiled and don't have nothing. That's the difference. Seek out somebody that uh, daddy used to say that you all can grow together, learn each other together and not my, 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 my. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a, a lot of fear and respect for parts of my uh, generation. Just like now, uh, my husband's get on me a, a lot. Uh, we're going somewhere and I see a boy and a, a young lady a young man and a young lady and they're, they're arguing and he's just totally disrespecting her, calling all kinds of names. Muslim say, you can't stop. You, you got to stop, want to stop because this is a different time. Uh, we, we, we stop now. We don't know if we're going to be alive. But when I was coming, it was nothing for a stranger to say, you don't do that. That's disrespectful because one day, she might be the mother of your children. And you might be the father of the children, your children. And would you want someone to disrespect your wife or your daughter or your son? That's the, the, the disrespect um, like now versus my generation. The B word was a fighting word. Now the B word now is just part of the conversation. Yep. Nobody gets alert. Really? And I, I asked them, what changed for you to accept a young man disrespecting you? Something had to change. And then someone would tell me, well, you know, my uh, daddy was nothing and he never was there and he would, you know, lie and, and not come back and just, you know, 
I said, but you know what, daughter? That should make you want to do better. You actually seen it and you lived it. And she said, yeah. And then mama would uh, feed him steaks and, and we get hot dogs and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I said, all of that, those tools that, that hurt should cause you to change. Well, you want to do better. Stop letting this young man disrespect you. Love yourself. That's what pretty, pretty girl, pretty. And you know what? He never opened his mouth while I was talking. He just stood there looking at me. When I got through talking to, you know, the young lady, I got on him. I said, son, why would you want to call a mother, a lady, a girl, the B word? Would you want somebody calling your mother that? You know what he said? Blank, blank, no. Because I, I said, that's the same way her father and her mother feel about her. The exact same way. You don't want it to happen to you. So that's uh, the transition, the things that our children do. When I was coming up, it wasn't called cute. Oh, no, it wasn't called cute. But now they kind of like want to say, it's cute. Um, ain't he funny? Ain't she funny? Um, teaching girls how to twerk three and four years old and, and boys that can't spell the name, really? Where's the education at? That's the difference to me. And here again, my favorite word is painful. Because they're going to grow up. That's what we forget sometimes. These cute little darlings that see us doing things and it's acceptable, they're going to grow up. So I have because... And I want to get your take on this because I talked about this with Alex before. To me, it's amazing how they promote our black queens in the industry, right? They have them up there twerking, talking and rapping about sex, talking. But if you notice, if you open your eyes, you really don't see white women doing that. Now they're doing it, but they're not promoting them like they're promoting the Cardi B's and the Megan Thee Stallions that's up there. So now what's happened is our young girls that are coming up after them, they're inspired by that. Now they want to get out there and twerk and rap about sex. Like when I was younger, the way I was raised by my aunt, she's from the South, where women didn't, they, their body was like, that was sacred. That was their temple. They didn't know. They covered up. They didn't want to be out here twerking on the table, this, that, and the third. And I think when you were talking about how she, the kids said they saw it at home, I think that's a, what a lot of it goes to. Because if you're used to seeing something at home, if you're used to seeing your mom get called a bead, being disrespected by another man, you're going to grow up thinking that's how you're supposed to be treated because that's what you saw at home. So I was taught and I was raised, no matter who they are, a woman or man, an elderly person is yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir. Right. No, sir. When an elderly person comes in a room, even if you're having a conversation you're not supposed to be having, even if you don't know them, once they walk in the room, that immediately stops. You help them. Hey, do you need help? Can I help you to your seat? If you see, a, like I teach my son now, if you see a random elderly person walking with bags, not like you said, now you have to be more cautious because you don't want them to think you're trying to attack them but ask them hey are you okay can i help you with this can i help you to your car are you fine like it's just 
I don't know, to me, it's just normal because that's how I was taught. But a lot of our kids now didn't see that. They didn't have that example that I have because they're, they were being taught by somebody that was taught the complete opposite of that. So now you see generations after generations being taught what they were taught, which is the wrong way. You, you know what, son, I, I teach and I share with them. You're looking for love in the wrong places. If you brought up with this attention behavior and nobody along your journey has said, no, you don't do that. You need to get some education in your head, this and that. But that's that behavior looking for love in the wrong places. And it winds up sometimes to be acceptable. Um, let's get back to the dress. Um, I picked up one of my daughters. She's really rough around the edges, but somebody got a love on her. So I invited her to church. So when I go pick her up, she's a, a stripper. She had those clothes on getting in my car. I didn't say a word. I didn't say, peace, daughter, come on now. We're getting ready to go to church. Because I already know the background, right? Before we got to my church, she had this big pocketbook. She started changing clothes in the car. I don't know how she put that stuff on right quick because I'm I'm driving, I'm trying to pay attention. I'm like, what? Yeah, blue hair, purple, all of that. But I later asked her, I said, daughter, what happened? She said, I looked and watched how you was dressing. She said, wow. I like that, that African thing. Wow. Sometimes we can talk too much. We got to know how to approach them. I get that all the time. We don't know how to approach them. Well, my mama did it, and it was all right for my mama. Daughter, I start out with, I don't want to talk about your mother. Be disrespectful, but you're old enough now to have developed you. And this is what you don't do. And um, it's, it's acceptable. They, they have accepted it. Um, I went to took my children to an event before all of this started, and it was uh, it was a swimming party. I wanted to take towels and wrap up everybody. Three and four year old girls got on two piece bikinis, all their skin out. Now my daughter, mine's, they had on the one piece and they had a t shirt on. How about that? Take your t-shirt off when you get in the swimming, when you get in the water. So on the way home, they asked me, why does she have on that kind of swimming suit? I said, bikini, two-piece. I said, because this is what her mother allowed. It was okay with her mother, but it's not okay with me. No, Grandma, because I couldn't take my t-shirt off till I got in the water. Absolutely. And I told my granddaughters, when you get out the water, because I'm sitting there, put the t-shirt on or put a towel around me. So it's learned behavior. Then when we decide to grow up, that behavior has been so acceptable. And when God send you a decent person, you throw that person off. Now, I don't want him. Dig into that, please. Please dig into that. <laughs> you know, I want him. I don't like him. Really? I said, this, this man is the branch manager. 
So he didn't been through background check. He didn't, he didn't dug up practically every relative he got out of the cemetery because it's, it's two different rules, as we all know. And I said, look at him. He's working, employed. His teeth is clean and nice. His nails is clean. And he has a desire to go places. And he's been watching you for a month because he asked me about you. I mean, a year. And you reject a man that want to be a man and respect and teach you what love is really about? She said, no, no, I don't want it. Flip side. She got attracted to the wrong person. Domestic violence. Wind up in the hospital with two black eyes and two broke ribs. Really? So which would you like? Somebody loving you and respecting you, but somebody constantly hitting on you. Programming is real. And yeah. um, it is very real. And I actually wanted you to kind of expound on what your generation back in the day looked for in a man, what the man looked for in a woman versus what we look for today, because it's hard to ignore. And a lot of us don't realize this, that when you look at a person 20 25 30 35 that person you might just be looking at a pretty face nice clothes good hair but everything about them is the result of programming and from the day they were born until the day that you met them there's a history there they have a past they've had experiences experiences that might not always come right out but it comes out in certain circumstances so that programming that person that you met is a result of all of that and i feel like it's different from when you came up versus us coming up which is why you see the rejection in today's relationships we couldn't bring nobody home that didn't have a job how about that nobody my father told me don't bring nobody to meet me or you spending your time with that don't have a job because you'll never accomplish nothing in life. This is my generation. And um, to make a long story short, I'm so proud of this story. My husband, um, daddy told me, said, get in the car. Well, my father used to own the pool room. So we had a pool room on a hundred and cedar. So my husband lived up the street. We were like 10 houses apart. So anyway, my father parked on the corner. He said, watch this. Then he looked at his watch. He said, watch it. He's getting ready to come out the pool room. He came out the pool room and went to the bus stop. Then he said, watch him. We actually followed the bus. My husband worked at um, Severance, a restaurant, Sirloin and Saddle, and he was a dishwasher. We actually followed the bus. He said, look, watch him. He said, okay, he can get off the bus. And he went in there and went to work. He said, that's the type, type of boy, young man that you want in your life. As much as he loves shooting pool around everybody, but he has something in him that he need to go to his job. And the difference today, we went to uh, a Burger King, not naming the location, Oh, I was all excited, have a coupon, gonna get us something to eat. The lady comes to the, you know, she answers. Guess what she said? I can't serve any food today. 
I'm here by myself. Nobody came into work today. Wow. Wow. In my day, oh, no, you about to get your feelings hurt. Isn't that something? This just happened um, less than a month ago. Really? And I went to another establishment, and um, my daughter um, was the manager there. I see something going on. So I get in the line. Guess what she told me? The mama, we had to close the dining room down because we had eight that checked. They, uh, they got paid today. And they told her they was going to the bathroom. Eight people left and never came back. So for safety, they had to lock the door, shut the dining room my day, oh, we're we going to stay to the end of the shift. Because I love having a big check. I don't like minuses on, on my check. Because I already didn't mentally spend it anyway. Yeah, I yeah. mean, the, the values today are just much different. But you said something. Um, you had a father to teach you, to tell you, to show you about the type of man that you should want to have. And today we don't have that. A lot of fathers just, and I'm, don't get me wrong, there are some great black dads out there, some great black fathers, and to me, those guys don't get enough credit um, because of this system, right? We, we love to demonize black men. We love to put them down and say they ain't worth nothing and blah, blah, blah. We have some great ones, but unfortunately, we have some that just weren't there. And even if you're paying child support, even if you, you know, may pick them up on the weekends what type of values are you instilling into them the type of man that knows his daughter one day is going to be a woman and is already pushing her in, in the direction molding her mind of what to look for and you're right son it's it's painful because we do have some good fathers out out here that's really doing wonderful things with their children but we're talking about the ones i call them mia missing in action we, we give each child in our daycare a birthday party. 10 years, I've been in business 13. The 10th year, we did uh, one of my baby's birthday parties and the father came. The mother stayed at work. He said, I'm not working, let me go. He came to the birthday party, he brought all kinds of stuff and I'm just staring at him and he said, Mama, what's the matter? I said, you're here. I said, 10 years. We've never had a father at any of the birthday parties. None. Wow. That's incredible. And and I, I asked them, I said, what made you want to come to your daughter's birthday party? You know what he said? Because my daddy didn't come to none of mine. So it's, it's, it's a personal thing. That's how the change is going to come. Is, is personal. And he said he never wanted his daughter actually turned two. How about that? And he said he never wanted her to say that my daddy never came to my birthday party. So that's why all these men um, organizations is so good uh, for our sons. Because I, I tell my single moms, you cannot teach your son how to be a man. Say that again for the people in the back, please. Yes, yes. I tell my, my daughter, my single parents, 
You cannot teach your sons how to be a man. You're not equipped. You don't know how. You cannot do it because it's personal things that happens to them and they need to talk to the daddy, um, uncle or somebody and you're not able to answer it. But she said, mama, I am um, um, his, his, his mama and his daddy. I said, no, you're not. Who told you that? You're his mama. And that's another thing that our precious single mothers need to understand. Now that we're talking about that, let's talk about bashing. Let's talk about, I teach, don't disrespect the father of your children and pour that poison into your baby's head. Because guess what? When they come to the daycare, they're crying, they're in pain. When I do workshops, everybody's crying. My mama say, my daddy ain't no good. I had one tell me, my mama told me I ain't got no daddy. Really? So just think. That grow up in them, right? And the first negative thing come out at that woman's mouth, here we go. Here we go. And uh, we need to, it's a lot of us out here doing a lot, believe me. It's a lot. Um, one of my spiritual mothers would go to the, uh, before the pandemic, she had signed up at uh Rainbows, Babies, and Children. And she volunteered in the maternity ward. And to hold the baby, she was telling me so many of the mothers that had their newborns didn't want to hold them. Get him out of here. Get out of here. I didn't want this baby anyway. So they would volunteer. They would make blankets. And they came every day until that mother went home and tried to show, you know, positive behavior. This is your baby. I hate her. She, she just got here and I hate her already. Now, where did that behavior come from? Wow. Somebody said to her, we have to go back to the, the bottom of the barrel. Somebody told her that. And she was in the hospital for four days and never helped her baby. In fact, she didn't want to take the baby home. So that put up an alarm. They better not send this baby home with, with her. Yep. And this is what these the spirit, you know, the elderly mothers are doing. They like 70, 80, 90. They went to the hospital every day. And it didn't matter. It wasn't just, you know, us. It was different nationalities, ethnic groups that didn't want your baby. So we got a lot of work to try that. We got a lot of work to do. The, the pandemic, uh, another painful subject. The child abuse has skyrocketed. I'm a, a advocate for the domestic violence uh, beyond abuse project because the parents was not used to being at home all day with their bundles of joy. They on virtual learning. The hospitals is full of our babies coming. Now, now, where did that come from? Trace the history. My daddy never wanted me. My mama never wanted me. So you, you, she grew up that way. 
they're, they're locking their children in the bedrooms, putting a chair behind the door, doing virtual learning. So it's a lot. It's a lot. And I, I'm so honored that you all chose me. Thank God for Sister Bert, you know, recommending me because we need to get, get the word out about our children, about our babies. Because if we don't stop the cycle, who's going to stop it, son? Your generation able to, to stop it. Mine was. We can't save everybody, but but those that we can save, hallelujah. It's funny we you said that. We are some happy people. I said that um, we were having a meeting with uh, someone, and I had said the same thing. I'm like, man, some people just can't be saved, but the ones you can, you have to work on those. But before we segue into the next chapter of your life, I want to get your take on something, because I feel one of the biggest reasons of why we don't we no longer see and we won't see until we start to change this a lot of black owned business is because it's because of the the lack of trades that are in school like there's no more trades in schools right and to me that's that's not something that i don't think that would take a lot to put back in schools everyone that graduates high school is not going to go to college let's just be honest with you but if you can tell a young man at 17, hey, you can get this trade and you can go run a CNC machine. You can have your, your plumbing license. You can be certified to put up some drywall, to do a yard, your landscaping business. I feel like taking that out of school eliminate, eliminated a lot. And really, they really only took them out of Cleveland Public Schools, the, the inner city, because I know a lot of people that I talk to that I work with in these suburban neighborhoods that still have certain trades in schools. So what's your take on trades versus going to college? Because me personally, I kind of feel like get the trade. Now you have something up under you instead of going to college for four years. And a lot of people that go to college, not even don't even work in the you go to college for eight years. One. Now you in debt. Right. Before you even get into the field you were in, you got to pay all this money back to me versus getting a trade. You can go into a building and say, hey, I'm certified. I can run this. I can do this. Here's what I have to offer. So what's your take on trades versus college? My generation, we, we were taught everybody's not college material. Everybody don't want to go to college. Find nobody wants to school. say that now. They have it in yeah. our kids' minds now that if you don't go to college, you fail, which is far from the truth. Way far from the truth. Now I done destroyed my, my baby's initiative that you're not nothing. How about that? And, and, and we don't want to do that. But this is where, son, we have to pick the mantle up. What did Harriet Tubman tell him? She looked back, them that, that wanted to go back, they didn't want to be free. They didn't want to be Rosa Parks. Uh, I mean, it, the, the list goes on and on and on. It's up to us. I went into the school system with a program. We need to go and bang on a door because it's about our children. See, sometimes when we get something taken away from us, we spend too much time pouting about it. In the meantime, my uh, baby's suffering. Now, do I go to college or do I go to a trade school? Perfect example, my own son, the one I birthed. 
he loved to sew. Both his grandmothers taught him how to sew when he was four years old. But they had taken sewing out of school. So the only school that had sewing was Max Hayes. I said, okay. I worked for the Coast Guard. I said, okay. I'll come get the special transfer. And he went to Max Hayes. Trade school. Everybody don't want to go to trade. Get some skills because now with these student loans, I got a daughter told me $150,000 student loan. And she said, mama, that's all I'm doing is, is paying student loan. And it's, it discourages them where when you go to a trade school, it's 13 months, I mean, 18 months, no more than 18 months, I think. And now in my mind, I'm saying, uh-oh, at the end of 18 months, I'm gonna have my certificate. I'm gonna be certified. And I'm going into heating and plumbing and electrical and concrete and building apprenticeship programs. And imagine that feeling that us as black kids have when you get that, like, man, I'm certified as something. No one can ever take this away from me. I accomplished this within a year. Now I can go out here in the real world and get a job or I can even start my own business now. Own business. And, and if I can add to that. You're not just graduating with a piece of paper like college. You're graduating with a skill set. You have and a skill. No one can ever take that from you. Right. Nobody can take that from you. And that's another thing about college, because I think that was done on purpose. Let's take the skills away from them so they don't know how to create and build on their own. Because once once you go to college and there's, you know, pretty much a degree for everything, right? You, there's a degree to learn how oxygen works. There's a degree for this. There's a degree for that. But unless you had an internship during that time where you had a chance to learn that as a skill, you either have to go to grad school or now get a job. And me getting a job, there's a million other people who have that same degree. So I don't necessarily have to choose you. And that skill set might not be in demand. That's the other thing. A trade will always be in demand. And now you see a lot of companies starting to realize that, well, he graduated with a degree, but this guy has experience. I'm going to lessen the requirements so you have a degree and say, as long as you have experience, we know that we can get a lot more out of you because now these companies, you come out of college, they got to invest training. They got to invest years into you, a lot of money, and there's no proof that you're actually going to pan out. In my opinion, I think they, they did that on purpose, specifically for the black community. As long as you can take trades and skills and put that to the wayside, then we don't have a way to feed ourselves indefinitely. I, I tell my, my, my babies, let's not let them take it away from you. Choose you this day. That's what the word says. Whom you going to serve. Now, you should have rooted in you by now where you want to go with, with your education and your skill set. So if you want to go to college, go to college. You want to go to trade school, go to trade school. The bottom line is survival. Survival. You work, and I mean, like I said, $150,000 student loan, I told her you won't be able to pay for that the rest of your life. Because you, you're going to have that student loan. And um, and you're right, the uh, people be, are so surprised when I tell them that I don't have a college degree. I don't have one, but I have the degree that God gave me with my skill sets. By my daddy having his own business, he taught me how to do the books. 
So I've been in banking for 18 years. I got promoted three times over two masters and a doctorate. But I had the experience. That was back in the 80s and then the 90s because of my skill set, what I learned um, from my daddy. What I learned, it, and I was able to apply my skills without the degree uh, and wind up being um, successful. And I truly do thank the Lord for that. So when they got ready, uh, this one bank rejected my promotion and um, saying that I didn't have any degree. So my supervisor went to bat for me. She said, she may not have degrees, but she got the experience. Said, Miss, Miss Gilmore know how to do a whole lot. Can't teach experience, can you? No, no, you, you can't teach experience and you can't take it away. The old school math, daddy talked like say 24, 36, 72, you would only work with the, the right column. And you would get the answer for both. That was old school math. So I had that. So when it came to uh, balancing out and always worked in the operations center, customer service, um, customer service. And um, because of the, the training that I got, and I like doing that, so I applied myself to that. So that's what I tell them. Find what you like to do, research it. Be careful because this daughter is miserable. She's working two jobs to pay off $150,000. And guess what my son said earlier? She's not in the field that she got two masters for. And that, that happens a lot. Believe it or not, just because you go to college to a degree, just because you go to grad school and get a PhD or master's degree, doesn't mean you're in demand. No. A lot of times people just want that degree next to their name. And just going back to what you said, it's funny how these companies will create these requirements, right? Those those requirements are created. So for you to say, well, she doesn't have a degree, that's a requirement you created. Let me ask what's more valuable, the degree or the experience. So I go out and find somebody who has a degree, but they can't even tie your shoelaces when it comes to the job that it is to do now you got to invest all this money time and training into them who's a more valuable asset to the business so that's why i say that whole system was created to keep us out and that's because, a whole another dynamic alex and a lot oh, of people don't even think about that because oh, yeah. and i know if you've seen this too these engineers right with these certain and this is no shot to engineers but i've literally physically seen someone working on a CMC machine, go get an engineer that can't even read a blueprint. Yes. Like, so you have this certificate, this piece of paper that says you went to school for plus years, but you can't even tell me us read a simple blueprint. Like they don't have the experience again. Exactly. After you get that degree, now you have to go through training. Having a trade is training. Yeah, exactly. So those two are, are, are a completely different dynamic that'll yield a, a completely different result. And truth be told, that, and I know Ron Johnson said it when we interviewed him, that process actually needs to start when kids are in fifth and, and sixth yes. grade. Yes. Because just think, if they're learning those skills as they grow up, opposed to just one plus one, five times five, white American history, 
they're learning skills that can benefit their community by the time they're 18 they can be a master of a craft think about that by the time they're they're 18 20 they can be a master of a craft and take those skills back to their community and help build that community you want to know why a lot of us don't own the businesses that we have and i know this is a completely different conversation but most of us were never taught we were never taught about we were taught to hustle right we were taught because it's no problem for us to get money and spend it but to own a business to run a business to grow a business that's different than hustling Mm -hmm. and so i want to segue really quick into because we talked a lot about the problems and issues that exist back from your era up until this one what is lady gilmore's take on how we solve it how we get back to the basics how we fix a lot of these issues from our values our relationships um what we what we look for in someone building up the the our communities our neighborhoods and most importantly you know my favorite topic is group economics circulating that dollar around our community and not letting it escape how do we get back to that we have to teach son know your worth know your worth teach them how to research like i told that particular daughter i said you can do some workshops create your own business from the experience that you you're going through create a workshop of how to beware of student loans or how to uh, entwine your degrees. I mean, use that. Know, know your worth. You already have the experience and you're dealing with it now. So for us to get back, we got to take time. This generation here takes a little bit more time than my generation. We are teachers. I got on one of my, my daughters. Um, I'm not, I don't know nothing about these designer purses and stuff. So I, she said, oh, mama, look, this purse cost me $450. I said, really? Well, we just bought your baby some shoes where his toe was coming out of it. So you could have taken $20 of the $450 and hey. bought your baby a pair of tennis shoes. Preach. So we got to teach them. Some of them don't know how to circulate that uh, dollar back. Some of them just, they, some do know and some don't know. So we got to teach them to be accountable. We know there's certain ethnic groups that will not shop and do business with nobody, nobody. out of their community. I mean, nobody. Nope. And they ain't rushing to bring their money they, to ours. No, no, they're not. And they will tell you. They don't mind telling you. So that's what, what we have to, to do. Create a venue. Um, bring them to the table. That's what I do. I bring before the pandemic. Bring them to the table. And and let's hear, because a lot of times they tell me that we don't listen. Let's hear. But you got to, you take, I said, well, daughter, was that somebody that, that looked like me sold you the person $450? No, mama. I said, see, my, my sister that had to close her restaurant she would appreciate we could have spent a hundred of that 450 on some meals with somebody that looked like you. We have to teach them. Teach them because they don't, they don't know. 
Either they don't know or they don't want to know, but our job is to teach. Teach my babies, I'm telling you, they already know. I got a four-year-old who want to be a veterinarian. I said, why do you want to be a veterinarian, um, princess? No, my, my scholar. I said, scholar, why you want? She said, grandma, you know them animals get sick? Did you see on TV? But that dog was out in the cold, he didn't have no cover. She said, I could give him some cover. That's where her mind is at four already. Mm. Teach, teach. We got to take them out the book. The books have a lot of knowledge. But here again, they need the experience, the experience to be productive. Let's try this for support. Go to Urban League, go to Jumpstart. I mean, here's all these um, learning areas. Stop playing video games, because you know what? The man that created the video games, he's a billionaire, y'all tell me. So we got to teach them, son. We got to bridge the gap between my generation and their generation. And I believe in bringing in these seniors, these elders, oh my gosh. When they hear their story, picking cotton and all of that, you should see how the atmosphere changes. And after the, the workshop is, is over, guess, guess who they talking to? Them, the elder mothers and the elder fathers. The, the elders, that's who they're talking to. And, and one of them asked one of them, are you telling the truth that you used to pick cotton all day? And how big that sack was? And you didn't get but 50 cent or dollar, I forget how much it was, yeah. Blew their minds. Now all of them that was there after talking with the elders, they, they changed a whole plan that their, their, their goal system changed and they're still connected to the elders to go sit at their feet and learn how they survive so that's so, what we got to do that's a great answer that's what i always say and that's even in the bible right train yes, a child sir. up when they're in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. A lot of people don't get that whole, oh, you got to start when they're children. By the time we're adults, we're already trained. And it's difficult to get an adult that mind has been formed for 20, 30, 40 plus years. And uh, it's going to be difficult to get that person. To, I met, I remember I met a kid, he was five. No, he was about six or seven. And he spoke three languages, three languages this is the best time to teach him. And, you know, most of our kids only speak one, but those parents took the time to teach their kids languages. I mean, that's the best time to pour into someone. Oh. And that's that's your work, what you do. So I kind of want to end on your work, what you do, your mission and going forward, um, some of the goals that you have in order to institute growth and change in the black community so that we can we can get back to the basics. Thank you, son. Um, you reminded me of something. I teach my children sign language. 
We're on YouTube. We have books. So my three-year-old, when her mother come, she did this. She said, oh, what are you doing? I said, Grandma told me sign language. I'm going to be, because I tell, I, I teach a second skill. She said, Mommy, when I get a job and start my own business, I'm going to be bilingual. My mother bounced back. She said, whoa. Mm. Said grandma talked to that. She said, "Yeah, this mean I love you." She started. This mean I thank you. She went through ten different expressions. We have to teach them. That's that's my assignment from God. Go out and find my babies and teach them. I had a baby read a book at fifteen months old. We sat down. I sit down with them. We read. We teach. We have to teach my babies. In 2019, um, one of my dreams was to do a children's fashion show. We had 35 children that model from ages two to 17. How about that? Guess who stole the show? My two and three-year-olds. They kept mm. telling me, we, uh, mama, we need a rehearsal. No, we don't. We need to let these babies come out the way they are. Now, out of that, I got 10 entrepreneurs. I call my, 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 my new love, Entrepreneurs on the Rise. 10 children out of that children's and tutus and bow ties have started their own businesses. And we get ready to open it back up December 19th. And I'll, I'll let you all know, uh, 2021, we're going to do it. And the, those 10 children are going to be vendors. How about that? Teach my babies. Don't talk about them. Teach them. I got one. I, I had her. She's in school. Her temper was so bad. But I found her level. I found what it was. She loves to draw. She's 11 now. I've had her since she was a year old. Fantastic artist. When she gets wired up, and things ain't going right. All she wants is a pencil and a piece of paper. Teach our babies. So when they meet my, my new sons here, they already have some kind of thought process of, of what they want to do. That's why I do what I do for my babies. Teach and love on my babies. Because I'm telling you, this generation, they call them that, that other word, which I don't like. Um, they're going places. So we need to pour into them, pour into them. Um, my uh, 20 month old, he loves music. So you know I'm playing ABC, how about that? <laughs> One, two, three, how about that? I'm teaching education because they gotta survive when I'm going on, when I'm going on. I, That's I, who's gonna I, get I, the baton. I got a quick question for you teach the children should we be teaching the parents should we be teaching them how to be parents how to teach them because it's one thing to have a lady gilmore but once they go home that environment might be completely different than the environment lady gilmore has should we be teaching the parents too oh i teach them i teach my parents absolutely because guess what these little darlings they threaten them at home don't come back to the daycare all the business but they they tell me and she said mama 
I know he told so and so and so. So I said, I'm not telling you that because they got confident. I need to talk to you. I, I don't know what's causing you to be so mean, unhappy. This, you know, and the list goes on and on. So I teach my parents. Oh, this ain't no one side teachable thing. One of them got fired four times. Fired. Can't even draw an employment. She mad with the world. Well, you know, um, mama, I'm bipolar. And what? I'm no polar. So you and I going to make a good team. I'm no polar. You bipolar. So we about to combine these polars together. I teach my, my parents. Four times she's been fired because of her attitude. Are you going to be in the restaurant business as a server? And you don't smile. Supervisor keep calling and said, you walk up to the people, you smile. My daddy taught me how to smile through the phone. And people tell me now, I see you, I hear you smiling through the phone. You walking up to somebody going to spend $400 and you talking about, I'm going to help you, please. Really? Really? No, I don't want you serving me. But um, we have to teach the parents. And with the transition that my children and my parents and me, it has been very successful. But you got fired that fourth time, the light bulb went off. Because she couldn't draw unemployment. Some the day they think certain things for unemployment. No, now when you get fired, you don't get unemployment. So that turned her around. So she calls me, she texts me, and I tell her what's what. And she, I don't even feel that she's the same person. I've been knowing her for six years. I, I just, I just look at her. She never would say thank you. I would, you know, give her things. I said, no, 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 daughter. Let's try this together. Thank you. I don't like to say thank you. Thank you. And I say about 10 times, but the 11th time she'll say thank you. We have to, there is no handbook for parents. I tell everybody, we ain't got no handbook. And even her mother has called me. Lady Gilmore, what did you do to my daughter? She said, We just sit here and stare at her. She laughed, she never would laugh. Remember, I told her she didn't smile, so she never laughed. Now, I told her two weeks ago, I didn't know you had 32 teeth six years, I ain't never seen them. <laughs> well, that's what Lady Gilmore does love on our babies. Love on them, and I give my children have titles. We have one president, vice president, secretary. They love sergeant of arms, okay? Because that that means you don't be trying to fight. Keep your hands to yourself and all that. Delegate positions to them. Let them feel important. Let them feel, and they'll come and tell me, Grandma. Tell him again, I'm the president. So you tell him. You tell the vice president you're president. And he'll look and he'll tell him, Grandma, say I'm the president. I said, no, you say I am the president. And you could you imagine when the Lord called me home, all them values is already poured into them. And they're going to be sitting with you two at, by the way. I just want to tell you that. 
Love it. Love I want to um before we uh wrap up, I just want to just get into just a little bit. You, I it was funny. I came on. I said I want to talk about your um your awards, and you was like, which one? <laughs> so I just want you to jump into jump into that just a little bit. Oh man, son. Okay, I'm always surprised with awards because I do it from my heart. God gave me and that award um, from the AEW, I was so surprised. Um, I didn't know who she was talking about until she said she gives up her birthday, her born day for the toy drive. Awards are fine. If your heart ain't in the right place, son, it's just a piece of paper. It's it's just a uh, trophy. This is the award you're talking about, the Legacy Award. It's that's all it is. It's a piece of glass. It's a piece of paper. What about your heart? My award really is be my baby successful. That's my award. And I've already asked, and I got it in writing, that when the Lord called me home, I don't want any proclamations to be read. Just stand my babies up there. Stand them up there and let y'all see the success that the Lord allowed me to pour into my babies. And that's my reward. Peace. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, Lady Gilmore, where can the people find you? Um, they can go to my website, queenonthescene.net. I can also, I'll give you my email. It's queenonthescene at live.com. Uh, I have no problem with my cell phone because God got it under control. My cell is 216-235-8836. And believe me, when you reach out to me, if I can't do it, the Lord has allowed to have people in place that I can make a phone call to. Awesome. And Lady Gilmore, if you were to say something, <clears throat> say something to the people as final thoughts, what would that be? My final thought would, would be, I, I love this quote from Madam C.J. Walker. I started my own business. She created a business of her passion. You may not be corporate America, corporate America material, but you might be, not might, you can be an entrepreneur. So find your passion. Find what God gave you to be. Find it because it's out there. And when he gives it to you, teach my babies to write. Teach them right. Teach them. Teach them. Go back and learn our history of what they went through to put us where, they, where we are today. I salute the trailblazers. I salute our pioneers. 
Go back and read about it. Read about them. Inherit some of their spirit. That's my pastor. To, to teach my beautiful it's beautiful willie you got anything sir um no man that's uh i pretty much that's it right there man there's nothing else to say after that man one of the most incredible interviews you've ever had a chance to do lady gilmore thank you it was an honor so much this, man. yeah it was an honor and a, and a privilege we learned hope our audience learned reach out to lady gilmore she's already doing amazing things um and it's the black culture podcast peace peace